This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. If you fast forward to you know, 2031, I expect that there will still be some differences. You will, you will have some societies which are, you know, ne- where cash is nearly extinct. Uh, and that's going to be the case for, I guess, you know, a number of Scandinavian countries, uh, the UK. Um, you'll still have some countries where cash remains, um, partly because it's a matter of habit, but also because I think some governments are quite keen to keep a role for cash. Uh, sometimes they don't want some people to be left behind in rural communities, for example, or people who are not really used to, to using electronic methods of payments, uh, perhaps the elderly. And they will try and, and, and keep a role for it. It's possible that it will be subsidized because, you know, we're used to paying with coins and banknotes and we think it is uh, basically basically free for us. You know, we hold this money and we think it's uh, it, we, we don't pay for it. But it's actually quite expensive to run uh, because it's a lot of uh, physical material to move around. It's quite heavy, you know, especially coins, but even banknotes. So it's possible that in those economies where cash remains and retains a role, it will be subsidized by the, the government. So to sum up, I'd say, um, you know, societies will probably be far more cashless with uh, perhaps uh, some exceptions and some differences across the world. Matthew Fabas is a finance correspondent at The Economist, and he often covers subjects like fintech, banking, insurance, and alt assets. Today, he's here to talk about the future of cash, or more specifically, our chances of living in a cashless society by 2031, with banknotes going out of style and banks themselves evolving to accommodate digital currency, virtual transactions, and alternative finance. My name is Arvind Yuvraj, and this is Futurescapes, an audio time capsule that's not just a prediction of the world to come, but a record of the times that we are in now, with technologies and concepts in their infancy that could, one day, change everything. Well, I guess if you if you look at the situation as it is today, um, I think it's probably fair to say that around the world, uh, you know, across most economies, um, cashlessness is progressing. Uh, there's there's really hardly an economy where where cashless uh, uh, cashless is progressing. That is more people using banknotes. Uh, so so that's that's all going in the same direction. Um, but there are very significant variations, uh, you know, in between. First of all, I'd say perhaps in between rich countries and and, um, and emerging markets, for example, the, the most cash-less uh, countries are also some of the richest, uh, and typically they are in Northern Europe. The UK is one; it's very uh, cashless, and Scandinavian countries also are, are among the the most cashless. But even within Europe, you know, there are significant differences because in Southern Europe, in Spain, Italy, to an extent in France as well, uh, more more cash is still being used. And then, if you broaden out from uh, from Europe, out of Europe, uh, you look at the US. Um, electronic payments are progressing, but. Uh, um, it is a bit more cash-based. Um, and then, you know, if you look at Japan, which is also a very rich country, uh, it's still very based on cash over there. Um, and what you've seen during the pandemic is that there's been a jump by, you know, a number of years, perhaps three to five years in terms of how fast uh, cashlessness has progressed in uh, across most economies. But some countries have um, 
have not experienced as much of a, of a boom, despite starting from, from further afield. Uh, so that's the case of Japan, for example. But it's not the case of, uh, of, of all countries. You know, even uh, a city like Hong Kong is still using cash quite a lot, uh, despite it being quite sophisticated in terms of the apps and, and uh, the, uh, the method of payments that are used sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that there's a global movement towards cashlessness or like a, a finish line that everyone hits at the same time, because that's that's kind of unrealistic, right? I don't expect that to happen, no, uh, because it's, you know, the use of cash is, is really determined by a number of different things. One of them being just a cultural element. Some countries seem to be just more, more attached to it. And that, that's a very strong driver. But then also you have the infrastructure of electronic payments, and that also varies a lot across the world. Uh, some countries um, have very good, effective mobile wallets. Uh, if you think of China, for example, um, a lot of um, even the day-to-day shopping or, or utility payments or hailing a cab, everything can pretty much be done within an app and paid within this app. But in other countries, you don't have this same infrastructure. You have frictions, it's difficult to use. Uh, and this takes time to put in place. Uh, and, you know, it's it's fair to say that every country is probably heading in, in the, the same direction, but with their, with their reach the same endpoint is not even clear, you know, uh, in addition to the speed at which they're progressing. And I'm guessing like the pandemic really sped up cashlessness, right? I mean, I used to have this... Um this jar that I put all my change and my coins in every day. And I haven't put a, a single cent in for more than a year because I went fully cashless the moment the lockdown started. Um, so I've been to the ATM machine maybe like three times since March 2020. And I guess that says a lot, right? Yes, that's very true. Uh, I think it's, you know, estimates I've seen uh, we've perhaps accelerated by three to five years. A bit like happened. what happened with e-commerce. E-commerce is the same. Um, but it's very true, you know, if here, so I'm based in London and here in the UK, um, it's the same, you know, I've not been to an ATM in, in probably two or three months now. And this is made possible, not just because um, we pay for things online, but also even bricks and mortar shops have uh, evolved and um, there are much simpler ways to pay. You can pay contactless uh, at nearly all shops, now, even the smaller ones, uh, even outside, even, you know, like musicians in the streets, I uh, know they carry a, a small terminal around for you to pay cashless, contactless with the card. Um, and also the limit on contactless payments, and you, you may have observed the same as well, uh, has been lifted here, you know, perhaps 50 to 100% more than what it was before. So you can make bigger shops using contactless payments without doing chip and pin or, or using cash. I guess crypto has also a lot to do with this, right? Because it used to be this very uh, alien concept, very niche concept. But now it has become like a a form of finance that people understand, Um, you know, especially digital natives like uh, Gen Z. Does crypto complicate things or does it make this transition to cashlessness easier for everyone? I think when we when we look at crypto, it's uh, it's really interesting because on the one hand, you have this this very big, massive Bitcoin bubble. But on the other hand, if you look at uh, its usage around the world as a means of payments, that has not progressed very much, right? I, I don't know you, but I, I don't buy anything in Bitcoin. Um, uh, and that's true in the physical world. We know a few people have Bitcoin on a, on a phone and pay with it. Uh, and even online, it's also quite rare. Um, we've seen a few announcements by some companies saying they will accept Bitcoin, uh, most notably Tesla. But, but primarily, it's not being used to buy stuff. Um, it's in fact, it's become more of an investment uh, asset class so investors are betting on its price rising or in some cases falling, more likely rising. 
this has not really come uh, to reality yet as a as a sort of alternative means of payments. So it's, I see it as something for now uh, fairly separate from what we've been discussing, which is cashlessness. Um, it may change. Um, it may change. I can speak about that if you want. What happens to banks in this situation? Because we, we usually see banks as a very cash-based institution. Um, but if cash goes out of style, where do banks fit in in, in this whole ecosystem? Uh, that's a really good question. And I think it's um, it also varies across the world. So, you know, what we've been discussing so far, this sort of one direction movement towards cashlessness, which is true, um, but at different speed and different endpoints. Uh, the same is true for the ecosystem. So you, you will see around the world some countries where banks retain a big role and some others where they are being eclipsed by other players, uh, most likely tech players. You know, I, I wrote about this uh, at the end of last year, trying to understand uh, perhaps the different categories of countries that we would see arising around the world. I said that there probably will be different levels. And if we start at the sort of ground level, um, I was not very kind to the US, but I was saying essentially the US is not very far along this journey. Um, one reason being that it relies a lot on credit cards. And this is a system that's mostly trusted by the credit card firms uh, and the banks. Uh, it's going to be quite hard to shift people away from this system, uh, which is not particularly uh, efficient. And it's also very expensive. Um, this is changing now with a few fintech firms like PayPal, um, Stripe and Square. But the banks are still very much there. right? And typically, they work together. So the fintech firms have taken a margin of the uh, the business, and you see new banks like Revolut or uh, Monzo here in the UK, um, and people use them, but they don't typically use them to receive their salaries or to do you know everything that's really central to their lives. Um, they will use them to make um, the smaller payments. They will use them to perhaps bet on market sometimes. Um, and even though things are you know much more electronically done, uh, as we discussed before. The banks still retain a big role. Typically, it's because they've um, well, they're, they're relatively protected by regulation, but also they've managed to to evolve. They've managed to to become uh, more involved in this new electronic world of payments. Uh, in some countries, like Denmark, for example, they've uh, on the, the Netherlands rather, they've managed to club together to form their own system of bank to bank payments. Uh, so it doesn't use credit cards. Uh, it's it works on 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 iPhones and and other smartphones, um, and you can transfer money to your friends to um, other traders very efficiently. Um, and that works really well. So, uh, you know, I, won't, I, I can't see how the banks are really going to disappear from this landscape. Uh, in Asia, <clears throat> what you see rising are the uh, apps uh, used on phone that are used to do a lot of different things. So, you know, we, we would call them the super apps. And because they are the first interface between the customer, it doesn't mean that people don't have a bank account because they probably will use this bank account to uh, upload money on the wallet. But the first thing that people interact with is the, the wallet or the super app. Uh, that means the, the banks are losing access to the customer in a way uh, and their brand is weakening. And then to, you know, I'll, I'll finish with China, which up to very recently was perhaps at the, the highest level with uh, Ant Financial. Um, so that's the, the financial services arm of Alibaba um, and uh, Tencent uh, and WeChat Pay. They really were the most complete super apps. Uh, and what some people saw really as the future of finance where you basically don't need really a bank anymore. And what you've seen in the recent weeks <clears throat> is that it does look like regulators in China are not really happy for this vision to come true or to uh, come to its terminal phase. And they've regulated uh, against the big tech firms. Uh, so, so in the end, it's not clear whether China will evolve in the direction of this sort of super app dominating everything. 
So this 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 is it. So a long answer to your question, but you'll see basically the world split in perhaps four different sort of levels where the balance between the banks and the fintechs is different every time. Of course, you know, there's some pushback uh, regarding going cashless. You mentioned the US just now. Um, some people don't like the idea. So is there a possibility that we abandon cashlessness um, in 2031 um, and, and it becomes mostly cash-based again? You know, what, what would cause that to happen if it could ever happen? I can't see, I can't really see how we, we would revert to a system that is, you know, practically entirely or mostly cash-based. I think it's it's hard to see people um, uh, decide to to renounce to the convenience of, of having no more cash to carry around all these coins in your pocket uh, or the ability to make instant transactions. And also the very fact that we're doing more and more of our shopping online means that we, we simply don't use cash as much. So I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. However, what I can see happening perhaps is governments or states or, or cities regulating to try and keep a role for cash. We've seen that in a number of cities in the US, which basically said shops must ac- accept cash, they must continue to accept coins and, and, and banknotes, uh, no matter how much demand they get for, for paying in contactless, or they must keep a role for that. And I think that's probably that's probably the most we can expect, you know, in like 10 years time. Um, otherwise, governments themselves, you know, have an interest in, in seeing more transactions being done electro- electronically, because they can uh, track them much more efficiently which for tax payment for purposes, for example, is, is a good idea for uh, trying to fight financial crime. And also it's, uh, it's cheaper to run. You know, I think the estimate I've seen is that um, basically the cash, running cash costs something like 0.5% of GDP, which, you know, it's really hard to estimate. So I wouldn't put too much faith in this figure, but that gives you an order of magnitude of how much money is being spent just on running the cash system. So if economies can dispense with some of that, I think they'll be happy with it. A lot of the pushback has to do with uh, surveillance, which a lot of people are afraid of, because they say that if your money or all your money is on an app or online, uh, then you have no freedom of finance. And then someone knows about every single dollar that you've spent and where you've spent those dollars. Um, I don't know about that personally, because I feel like if that's the argument, uh, there's nothing stopping anyone from doing that now, right? So much of our lives is already online in, in the first place. But um, you know, in your opinion, is there a risk of 2031 becoming like a surveillance state as we move towards cashlessness? You know, is there any basis to that way of thinking, that mindset? I think it's a very legitimate concern. I think it's really fair to ask these questions now because this is now that the system is being basically designed. And we've progressed along the way, of course, but a lot of the infrastructure and policies and norms that will uh, dictate how the financial system works in, in 10 to 15 years' time, this, this is being debated now. So, it's a good idea to speak about it. And I think there is a real risk, you know, in some societies that electronic means of payments are being used to, to basically check what people do in their daily lives, what they spend their money on, uh, where they go shopping, um, the subscription they get to which newspapers to, I mean, this, this is, this is a possibility. Um, but the very fact that we're speaking about it shows that there is a real interest in avoiding this happening. And I think it will, it will again vary depending on where you are. It's clear that in some societies, these concerns are not as strong as in others, or perhaps not let's. If you look at China, for example, there's basically a bit, a bit of a free-fall for data. Uh, there's very few safeguards on privacy of, of users of these apps. At the other extreme, you have Europe, where GDPR, these are relatively strong safeguards. It's, it's telling that, in a way, GDPR, so the rules on data in Europe uh, and privacy. Uh, and then perhaps the US is in between. You know, it's um, it's it's left the private market to a large extent to to decide what to do with the data. But there's, there's a spectrum of 
attitudes towards data. So it's 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 a real concern, and we have to speak about it. But there are also solutions, real solutions, for it not to become a, a, such a big problem, or not to for, for our societies not to evolve into these sort of financial big brothers uh, that that uh, that you just referred to. I was also going to say, you know, that on the the flip side of this, as you've mentioned, um, won't twenty thirty one have very little corruption in terms of money laundering, or you know, even simple things like bribery, because everything leaves a, a trail of breadcrumbs. You know, there's no physical money, or there's very little physical money. Uh, the blockchain knows everything, so that's a that's a positive, right? I mean, that that's a, a, a good thing if that happens. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's probably fair to expect that it will be harder to hide uh, your footsteps if the world becomes fully electronic. But I, I wouldn't be as uh, perhaps as optimistic as you are, uh, or, or as definitive, because there are still ways to to hide in transactions. There are still ways to create fake accounts, and and to an extent, you know, cryptocurrencies. As you say, make in some cases make things more transparent, but there are also some that allow uh, criminals to to transact without being really noticed or to 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 launder the money. You know, I was I was writing recently about um, about cyber attacks against banks. I was able to visit the dark web a couple of times, and it's it's interesting to see that marketplaces on the dark web mostly use cryptocurrencies to to charge users. Uh, the prices are in Bitcoin or in Monero, which is a a more private cryptocurrency than Bitcoin. So clearly. Criminals or the black market see a use in uh, some of the cryptocurrencies to hide their footsteps, uh, and I think it's not going to be super easy to to make that completely disappear. Uh, one reason being that the more electronic transactions are, the more cross-border they are typically as well. You know, e-commerce is very global, and it's really hard to track transactions across border as efficiently as you would within a single country because they fall under different jurisdictions uh, and things. You can you can lose the trail more easily. So things will be easier, I think, and um, there will be more tools to try and verify transactions. But um, this alone won't eliminate uh, financial crime. So we've mentioned uh, we mentioned China a couple of times, uh, a few times actually. So where is China in 2031? You think because um, they were one of the first major economies to have like a, a government sanction push towards a cashless society, right? So are they the most powerful country in the world by then? I think what what you see in China is even though you know as I described before, I think that the two big tech firms will to some extent be tamed a little bit by what's regulators and the government uh, have done in recent weeks uh, and they will continue to do things like that to try and make sure they don't become an oligopoly but what you see is also is, is china has been the first country to think of developing or to make concrete steps in developing a, a central bank digital currency so we've spoken about cryptocurrency so far and i was mostly referring to the the private ones or the decentralized ones uh, but the government there has been really forceful in developing a, a central bank digital currency and the idea there is is to replace mostly cash with this this currency, uh, but without actually short circuiting the banking system. What you see is China being probably much more advanced than most countries around the world in in using this currency, which uh, will give it much more visibility on what people do with the money, and possibly will allow it, allow it to dictate what people can do with uh, with the currency, because this will be essentially a computer program that is managed by the central bank. 
So this is the one respect, you know, where, where you're right. I think this, this, it will be leading in that respect. So just flipping from that a bit, uh, going from China to the to the US, and you mentioned this briefly, you touched on it briefly just now. Um, you know what's interesting? That I was watching a video on YouTube uh, recently, and one of the experts in the video said that uh, the US is about 10 years away from adopting a large-scale cashless society. And I was thinking to myself, like, that sounds like something, like, no offense, but that sounds like something a, a developing country would say, you know, not the US, not the most powerful economy on the planet. And I'm wondering if that hesitation uh, towards adopting cashlessness is going to hurt the economy in the long run. You know, is it going to sort of uh, leave them behind as more and more countries move towards this like advanced way of finance? It's a very interesting question. And I think in the case of the US, I think the handicap they have is not so much the role that cash still plays in the society. I think it's more, as I described before, it's more the credit card system. Uh, it's it's deeply entrenched in the US, far far more than it is here in Europe. But it's going to be very interesting to to look at how things evolve in the next five to ten years, because uh, America is also where you've got some of the biggest payment firms uh, that are changing the way payment works around the world. So Stripe, for example, um, uh, PayPal also is um, is doing really well. It's branching into crypto, um, and they're evolving into these. Payment plus apps, uh, which in the end might become super apps that do much more than payments. So, you know, where do we land between these two is, is not clear in the case of the US. And I don't think it's really because the country is going to want to to retain cash so much or because it's going to be too slow in evolving away from cash. I think it's it really is linked to this, uh, this other aspect of the financial system, which is already electronic. You know, of course, the, the major issue with this is, um, you know, what happens to the offline population with no access to technology, no access to smartphones, no access to the internet. Um, is there going to be a massive like socioeconomic divide because of this, because of cashlessness? Uh, I think it is a risk. And, and you know, is this is something that uh, governments have to be mindful of. Uh, and this is why it's it would be unwise to try and switch away from cash uh, right now very quickly. Uh, this is something that needs to be phased in so that uh, the right policies and infrastructure are put in place uh, so that everyone can participate. Uh, there are typically are solutions, you know, in, in some of the most remote areas uh, in, in emerging markets in Africa. Th th these technologies are progressing even in, in some of uh, the regions that are less, you would think, less connected. So it's possible, but it takes time. So the essence here is to make sure it's not too, uh, too rapid because, uh, as you say, if... if this is not done in a thoughtful way, then there is a real risk that people are left behind. Will there ever be a time when someone finds a stack of cash, um, you know, wherever they've stored it, the basement, some old cupboard, and then that cash, no matter how much it is, is completely worthless. You know, they're just stuck with a bunch of like recycling paper at this point. Like, will we ever get to that stage? Uh, there, there is a, I guess there is a possibility that this may happen for some types of uh, of money um you know here in the uk i'm not entirely sure because i've not tried to do it but if you if you find a box full of uh, of the old one pound coins uh, I, don't, I don't think it's worth anything anymore so you might see some of the denominations will cash itself be completely worthless i think it will take a few more years i think it's it's not going to be done within 10 15 years i think it's it's a bit the equivalent of you finding um you know some ancient bills um you know in the ground now that perhaps would be a better place in the museum than uh than accepted by the central bank 
that would take a few decades rather than just one. Um, okay, so final thoughts. Uh, is this your ideal 2031? Like, are you excited about the 2031 that you just described? Because, you know, the most important aspect of any future is the the people, right? Not the tech, uh, because we are, we are living in that tech. Uh, do you think this cashless, sort of like mostly cashless, mostly paperless society um, is exciting to you? Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, to me, it is exciting. I think there's more advantages than uh, drawbacks from having such a vision come to fruition. Uh, I think we have to be careful about some of the aspects like privacy, as, as we discussed, and the need to include everyone. But it, 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 you know, if, if we get to a, a more cashless society, a society that is using efficient means of payments, uh, this will benefit the economy at large, this will benefit consumers um, and merchants in the ecosystem. It will be more pleasing to use. Uh, it should be easier to track uh, you know, fraudulent transactions, it will be safer. I expect also governments will be able to recoup more of the tax evasion uh, that we uh, are witnessing um, still. And so therefore, we, we'll have a more complete, uh, happier and, and probably fairer society if this is done right. Uh, but as we discussed, you know, there are different models being designed uh, around the world and, 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 and not all of them are, are finely balanced. So um, I hope the right one comes to Matthew Favas can be found online at matthewfavas.com or on Twitter at Matthew Favas. Remember to follow or subscribe to Futurescapes wherever you're streaming this episode from because in the coming weeks, we'll be covering things like deepfake, the future of credit scoring and autonomous vehicles. In the meantime, here's a clip from an ABC interview back in 1974 of science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke making predictions about the future of computers and the internet overall. He predicted that one day, computers would be able to sit on a desk and be carried around like phones. This was barely 50 years ago, by the way. Just let that sink in. This has been Futurescapes on BFM 89.9. The big difference when he grows up, in fact, if we wanted to wait for the year 2001, is that he will have in his own house not a computer as big as this, but at least a console through which he can talk to his friendly local computer and get all the information he needs for his everyday life, like his bank statements, his theater reservations, all the information you need in the course of living in a complex modern society. This will be in a compact form in his own house. He'll have a television screen like this here and a keyboard, and he'll talk to the computer, get information from it, and he'll take it as much for granted as we take the telephone. They'll also enrich our society because it'll make it possible for us to live really anywhere we like. Any businessman, any executive could live almost anywhere on earth and still do his business through a device like this. And this is a wonderful thing. It means we want him to be stuck in cities, we better live out in the, in the country or wherever we please, and still carry on complete interaction with human beings as well as with other computers. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.